Good morning. I have all sorts of goodies this morning here. If we can get through without me breaking anything, this is going to be a win. Hey, if you're new around here, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We are in week three of a four-week series entitled The Christmas Quest. And what we're doing in this series is looking at Acts 4, 32 through 37. And we're just telling the story of the quest for community, uh, the quest for a society that reflects God's goodness that the world has been on since the beginning, or at least since sin entered into the world. And then uh, the first breakdown of humanity we see right in Genesis 4. And since that moment, there's been like two countercultures, uh, two cultures against each other uh, that have been formed. On one hand, uh, there was uh, the enemy and his plan for community. And then on the other side of it, there's God and his plan for community. And Acts 4, 32 through 37 is just this beautiful picture of how under the lordship of Christ, a group of people known as the church interacted one with another. And so we've been pulling uh, different traits out of that. And this will conclude uh, on our Christmas Eve services. And so uh, just as way of reminder, we have three Christmas Eve services. One on Friday, the 23rd, that starts at six o'clock. Two on the 24th, which is four and six o'clock. There is full kid care, full uh, kids service, just like a weekend service uh, for all three of those services. And then next Next Sunday, uh, we don't have service. We're going to take that day off. And the reason we decided to do that is because there's a lot going on the, the two days beforehand. Uh, and we want everyone just to, to be able to wake up Christmas morning, um, having worshiped our Lord and celebrated Christmas together already as a church, and just enjoy some time with family. Uh, the following week after that, then, of course, is New Year's Day. Uh, and we will have one service, so 9 o'clock right here. This is not like an excuse not to come to church. Uh, we're going to combine together and have one service at 1030. Uh, it's going to be packed in here and a lot of fun. And uh, I've never preached a, a sermon on New Year's Day, and I am like a New Year's junkie. I love resolutions. I love starting over, all of that kind of stuff. So I am excited to preach New Year's Day and kind of uh, charge us up, focus us, get us ready for the year ahead, because um, we've got a lot of exciting things that we're looking forward to as a church. Uh, and I know uh, you guys as individuals and families going into next year. So that's kind of the rhythm over the next couple of of weeks around here, uh, and uh, a lot of good going on. I know many of you have been journeying on with the Christmas Quest. I see your social media posts. The t-shirts are in. If you won, uh, go ahead and you can turn that in, either the Christmas Eve services or uh, we'll extend that over to the, uh, the January 1st service as well uh, so you can get your t-shirt. We've been having fun around here, and today what I want to do uh, is I want to look at, or I guess I want to ask this question, uh, what does it look like to make an impact I would think in, uh, for every person, there is this quest to make some kind of impact, that the, uh, the world around us is, is somehow better as a result of us being here on the earth, this quest for impact. And we're going to look at the story of a guy today who makes an incredible impact. And he doesn't make an incredible impact because he has some kind of like unprecedented genius or like once in a lifetime charisma. He makes an incredible impact because he knew how to serve because he knew how to encourage, and because he believed in something and in someone deeply. And these are traits that all of us 
can embody. We can look back through history and we think of these names of people that have uh, impacted the world in incredible ways, right? You have your biblical examples, whether it's Moses or King David, and then uh, we have our historical examples of different professions, right? Whether it's Shakespeare or Martin Luther, we have our own like heroes in our own country, right? Like Washington and, and Lincoln and, uh, you know, the more modern people that we think of that, like these guys have made an impact. And maybe you sit back and go, yeah, but I'm never going to be president. I'm never going to be a general. Uh, I'm never going to like change the world with some uh, invention. Can I make an impact? Well, this guy in the scriptures, this guy in the scriptures makes an incredible impact because he was obedient and faithful. And I think at the beginning of the story here, this individual, his name is Barnabas, he would have never suspected that his life was going to take the path that it took. But it was one act of obedience and faithfulness that sent him down a path that was unexpected. Sent him down a path that today, 2,000 years later, we're still remembering this guy named Barnabas. And I want to um, create some, some parallels to our own lives and uh, how if we step out in obedience and faithfulness, when God calls it, uh, us to it, he can take us down a path uh, that we would never expect, that God wants to do incredible things in your life, through your life, as a result of obedience and faithfulness. And so we'll start uh, where Barnabas' story starts, and that's in Acts chapter 4. And I think it's easy as we look back sometimes to just look in and go, well, yeah, Barnabas made an easy decision. I'll show you the decision he, he made here in a moment. But we also have to place ourselves in the circumstance and realize that we have probably had similar opportunities to do as Barnabas did. And if you're anything like me, and sometimes you made a, an excuse or you figured out a reason why not to do what Barnabas did do, let me look at the story. Acts 4, 32, actually, I'm going to start in verse 36. So this is near the end of our text. It says, thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, so he has a nickname, which means son of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's what's interesting. It is Barnabas's act of what I would call ridiculous generosity that sets him down the path of the rest of his life. And I think it is easy for us to look in and say, yeah, the, the spirit of God was moving and it was the early church and things were different back then. So it probably wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, but just to like place ourselves in Barnabas's shoes for a second, this guy is a traveler. He's not from Jerusalem. So he's moved into town here because the movement of the gospel is going crazy. There are at this point, probably 20 to 25,000 Christians. The church is exploding in all of the right ways, and Barnabas shows up on the scene, and he hears the story about how there's some need present in the church. Uh, the, some of the individuals, they, uh, they were either impoverished or they were traveling from out of town, so they didn't have any money. They couldn't buy food. They didn't have shelter, and Barnabas hears that there's a need, and his mind goes to, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, well, I have this piece of property that I don't need. Why don't I just go sell that, and then I'll take the money. I'll give it to the apostles, and then they can take care of everybody's needs. This is a prompting by the Holy Spirit that Barnabas responded to. Now, if you've been in faith long enough, you've probably had similar promptings at some point. 
And uh, sometimes the conversation in our head goes something like this. Well, you know, I actually worked really hard for that land, God. Like, uh, or that land was given to me by somebody else who worked really hard. And Lord, I actually think it would be kind of dishonoring if I gave it up. And so this probably isn't from you. Or maybe you do this one. God, you know, if I hold on to that land, the way that the market is turning right now, in 10 years, it'll actually be worth more. And then I could sell it then and have an even greater impact. And we like tell ourselves these stories, uh, and, and it's not just with acts of generosity, but it's with any acts of obedience or faithfulness that when we feel the Holy Spirit has impressed it upon our heart to do something, we begin to come up with all of these reasons in our mind on why we shouldn't respond in obedience and faithfulness. And Barnabas, he's here in this moment, and he's felt the, the impression of the Holy Spirit to say, just, just go sell the land. Just sell it, Barnabas. And I, again, if Barnabas is human, which he is, right? Like us, there, there was probably a moment of like, ah, is this the best decision? And maybe you have faced that moment. I, I, I'm being obedient, Father. And, but then on the other side of your head, you're like, is this really the best move? And Barnabas goes through with it. And this one act of generosity triggers a whole new path in life. I mean, imagine, there, again, there are 25,000 Christians at this point, one of them, one of them, Barnabas, right, gets pulled out of the 25,000, and a story gets written about him. And it all started with this ridiculous act of generosity. So this morning, I do, I have five points that I'm going to pull out, just some things we can learn from Barnabas. And ultimately, as we learn these from Barnabas, we have to remember uh, that it is good for us to have heroes of the faith and, and to learn from uh, men and women in the scriptures. Um, but ultimately, we, we have to remind ourselves that they're just modeling Christ and what they learned. And so I will show what we learned from Barnabas, but then underneath each of these points, uh, I have to remind us how Christ was an even greater fulfillment than Barnabas was. And so the first thing we see here how do we make an impact? Well, through acts of generosity. Last week, I taught on true biblical generosity. And if you weren't here, uh, you can go back and you can listen to that. And if in any way last week, uh, you got done and you walked out and you go, whew, this is great. I don't need to be generous. You missed my point. You missed my point. My point last week was this. Ridiculous generosity is godly and it's of him. But around here at Redemption, when we're generous, we want to be generous out of the right motives, not the wrong motives. We don't want to be generous out of obligation or, or guilt or manipulation or uh, abdication is one, another term I use of just like, oh, I give that way I don't have to do anything else. No, we want to be generous out of all of the right motives, uh, out of love, uh, out, out of worship of God, out of partnership together for the gospel. And, and so last week, I'm I was trying to correct wrong motives that sometimes stir people to generosity or make them feel obligated to do, and instead instruct right motives that lead to ridiculous generosity. As Christ was generous to us, then we, be, uh, we are generous to others. And Barnabas' first act here, uh, he shows us, he models this generosity. He sells the land and he just lays it at the apostles' feet in order to take care of people. And friends, as we get near the end of our year, 
And for many of you, uh, if you're like me, uh, then, then some of us, I know we're not like this, but others of us, we are. We get to the end of the year and, and we get excited to like sit down and to like reflect on the year. Okay, I've said this before. I have an Excel document that I um, open up on January 1st every year and I like record all of my stats for the year. It's like my favorite 10 minutes of the year. Okay, because I'm like a stat junkie. And so then I record it all and I can look back at previous years. And, uh, and as we get to the end of the year, as you reflect on your year and how it went and, uh, and the blessings that God poured out, one of the things that should be in the Christian's mind is, is this, God, as you have blessed me, how now can I turn around and bless others? And Christmas is this beautiful season where generosity becomes this more like natural part of who we are. I'll have much more to say about this during Christmas Eve. But like generosity, which is such a godly trait, gets elevated in this time of year. And as Christians, we should uh, use this season to stop and to reflect and say, God, is there a ridiculous act of generosity you would be calling me to? Is, is there something, as I look back now and reflect at your blessings over the year, for Lindsay and I, Lindsay's my wife if you're new around here, you know, for us, this means just sitting around and looking and, uh, and saying, okay, Lord, what surplus do we have this year? And, and then how would you call us to do something uh, ridiculously generous near the end of the year? Uh, whether that's to, 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 to give it here because we love the work of ministry that happens here, or if God were to put somebody on our heart and uh, you know, maybe split it between those two things, uh, and just look for an opportunity to be ridiculously generous. Friends, as a church, as a people, let's be generous people. And, uh, and it's interesting, uh, by the way, that Barnabas' journey starts here. Uh, I heard a, a scholar uh, say this. He said, it's interesting. I didn't hear him say this. I read it. Uh, that that, that Barnabas' sanctification starts with his wallet. Because if a man can be sanctified there, he can be sanctified anywhere. If a man can't be sanctified there, he will not be sanctified anywhere. That is a challenging thought. That is a challenging thought. And it's interesting that Barnabas's his journey starts right here. This act of generosity. And so I would encourage you this year, uh, as you get close to the end of the year, uh, to, to consider and to see how the Holy Spirit would prompt inside of you from all of the right motives in whatever way this might look to do something ridiculously generous. The second thing then we see, so, uh, so this starts, here's Barnabas. This is his first, uh, um, imp- uh, first uh, time he shows up in the scriptures. And now after he has shown up, we go through a few more chapters. And this guy, again, one out of 25,000, now starts being all over the scriptures. And so we hop over to Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to kind of journey through Barnabas' story this morning. Um, uh, in Acts chapter 9, we see him come up again. Now we're in verse uh, 26 through 28. Let me read these verses, then I'll explain what's going on here. It says this, and when he, now the he here is not Barnabas, it's actually Saul, or as most of us know, Paul. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. This is Paul. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. 
So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. The second thing that you and I can do to make an impact is to stand up and defend a brother or sister in Christ. See, here's what's happening in the story. Paul has had his radical conversion, or I should say Saul has had his radical conversion. His name is then later changed to Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And uh, Saul was, many of us know this part of the story, he, he was a Pharisee. Uh, he was on the other team at the beginning of Acts uh, to the point where he was uh, murdering or a part of the officiating crew that was murdering Christians. And these early disciples were seeing Saul as the leader of the persecution, and then he experiences the transforming power uh, of the gospel on the road to Damascus, right? He's thrown to the ground. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? He has this radical transformative moment of grace. And then after that, uh, Jesus actually says to him, I've saved you for this purpose, that you might bring the gospel to the world, right? Because when Christ saves us, he saves us with a purpose. And uh, later on in Ephesians, in fact, the apostle Paul would write uh, that after our grace, uh, that God has prepared good works for us to do. that He didn't just save us to save us. He did save us. He saves us for our sins, but then he saves us to release us, right, to go do his good work. And so uh, the apostle Paul, he's transformed by the gospel, and now he's got this mission by God, and he wants to go live his mission out by proclaiming the gospel. And so he starts teaching, and the early church goes, whoa, hold on. This guy was just killing our friends. Literally, right? He and, and our family. We don't trust him. We don't believe him. Let's keep him on the outside. Now, from a human perspective, right? From a human perspective, Paul is now on the outside of the church. The church is circling the wagons and they're trying to leave Paul out. And from a human perspective, he would have remained there on the outside, except for there's these two words right in the transition here, and it's but. Barnabas. That Barnabas, this guy who like seven chapters later is just some, you know, Levite from Cyprus who journeyed into Jerusalem, but then gave this uh, incredible sum of money and and now is a part of the story here going on. Uh, And now Barnabas, uh, he looks into the circumstance. He goes, hold on, hold on, guys. I've seen Paul preach the gospel. I have some visual of him. I know him better than you guys do. This conversion, it's real. The transformation that has happened in him, it's real. And what happens in this moment is Barnabas leverages and lends his reputation and his status in order for Paul to be able to do what God has called him to do. It's this beautiful act where Barnabas looks and he says, I will vouch for him. I will vouch for for grace that is working its way through him. And so guys, let him in. Now the rest, of course, is, uh, is history. Like we know what's going to happen later, but it was in this moment. And we can look in from the outside and go, yeah, Barnabas, you really picked a winner there, which he certainly did. But Barnabas didn't know that Saul was going to be Paul who was going to write all of it. And that's the Holy Spirit told him, I guess. But what he was just doing there was the right thing. So no, this is real. This conversion is real. I will stand up even when the rest of the church is opposed. I will stand up for my brother. This is a beautiful act. Around here, we have a phrase that helps us understand this point. It's called, everyone is invited to experience redemption. 
And it's our deep-seated belief that regardless of someone's past, regardless of what they've fallen into, that the gospel can come in and can truly change people. And if we don't believe that the gospel can truly change people, why are we doing any of this? We believe it. And so what that means for us as a church is is that when we have the opportunity to, to lend our community, to lend our strength, to lend our influence, to lend our reputation to somebody who's on the down and the out that we do, and we welcome them in, we say, find your place here. God still wants to use you. God still believes in you. Your story is not over yet. And friends, one opportunity for you. This isn't a blind belief, by the way. Barnabas has seen Paul preach. He did witness some stuff with his own eyes. This is, I think, Holy Spirit-led and Barnabas having the courage to stand up. But what opportunity for us, friends, to, uh, to learn from Barnabas here when we're given opportunities to stand up and to defend brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, ultimately, where does Barnabas learn something like this? I mean, isn't this the gospel? Isn't it the gospel that, that on the cross, Christ, right, uh, took our reputation upon himself, took our sin upon himself, bore it, the penalty and the weight of our sin and its condemnation on himself, on the cross, right? And then does what? Imputes his righteousness or his reputation before the Father of perfection and holiness and grants it to us. There is maybe no more beautiful act uh, 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 of living out the gospel uh, than when we see a brother or a sister down to say, I'm going to lend my strength to you and to help you back up. This is something we can learn from Barnabas. And, and a trait uh, that would be a beautiful one. Uh, I think it's already present in our church uh, and I'd love to see it more and more. That's the second thing we learned from Barnabas. And so here, uh, by the way, so what's the, the practical step here? Man, find someone to believe in. Find someone uh, who, who maybe the world is uh, questioning or doubting or wondering and, uh, and, and leverage some of your strength, leverage some of who you are for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of that person. Now, Barnabas, again, I wonder if he ever stopped and, and just paused for a second and goes, wow, all of this because I sold a field. All of this because I sold the field. Because uh, two chapters later, we're going to see God do even more through this guy named Barnabas. We're going to get to Acts chapter uh, 11, verses 23 through 26. Look what happens here. So, that was verse 10. Okay. When he came and saw the grace of God, that he here is Barnabas. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he, Barnabas, was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas shows up at the scene in Antioch, and when he gets there, uh, he senses a little bit of uh, discouragement in the church there. And so Barnabas shows up on the scene, and he begins to encourage them. Uh, I wrote it this way. The third thing uh, that we can do to make an impact is by encouraging people to keep on in the faith and then by discipling them, or uh, I would say entering into some kind of mutual uh, discipleship relationship. These simple words are very profound, right? He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. 
Barnabas looked in at the disciples there at Antioch and in essence said, guys, don't give up. Remain faithful. Uh, stay committed to the Lord. Keep Jesus at the center. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And I think we live in a, a season right now uh, where the opportunity to encourage people to remain faithful in the Lord is very high. Uh, many of us, we've watched this over the last couple of years as we have seen people that we love or people that we used to be close to and their faith begin to waver, uh, whether it was by, uh, you know, personal sin that came into their life or, or just because of the craziness and the shifting of the world, uh, right, that God puts these people in our lives and we have these opportunities with this like unbridled optimism in the gospel to show up into people's lives and to remind them, no, don't chase that. Don't run after that. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And even part of what we do on Sunday morning, like the reason we gather together, we're told this in Hebrews chapter 10, we to stir each other on to good works, to refocus our minds back on Christ. That's why the gathering of the saints on Sunday is so important that our eyes and our hearts would be drawn back to Christ. And in the last few years, we've seen so many reasons for people to fall astray. And let's be a people that when we see those people, we encourage them again, just as Barnabas did, remain faithful in the Lord. Let me give you some examples. Like did, did COVID and everything that happened there shake your faith? Don't give up. Remain faithful in the Lord. Are you close to like cowering to the woke mob that is everywhere right now? Don't. Remain faithful in the Lord. Has someone in your life run astray and now it is causing you to question everything? Remain faithful in the Lord. Maybe life's challenges, death, divorce, disappointment, Despair, depression, dismay is causing you to doubt. Remain faithful in the Lord. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe all of life's blessings, kids and marriage and uh, money and health and future and success are actually clouding the gospel in you. Remain faithful in the Lord. And Barnabas is this great example of showing up and seeing this group of people and just breathing life into them. Let's be that for each other, for our life groups, for our family. We can do this in our homes. Husbands, uh, setting a tone in your, in your family for what it means to, to pursue the Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. When things pop up in our family that would uh, make us begin to doubt and to worry, uh, to pause in that second and say, hold on, we're going to pray right now as a family. We're going to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. Husbands, for us to be encouraging our wives in this. Wives, likewise, to be encouraging your husbands in this. Friends, to be doing this for each other. Uh, parents, to be doing this for your children, right? When their lives get crazy or they're starting to question things and, uh, and you step up and you use the voice and the influence that God has given you in their life to remind them, no, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on truth. And for us to be doing that one to another, uh, it is why Christian relationship in whatever form, whether it's an official form like a life group or a Bible study or it's just the organic friendship of followers of Christ is so essential. And that when we gather in those moments that we elevate Christ, right? That we open up the scripture, that we pray for each other, that we encourage each other along the way. We will not go astray. We will not worship that which we ought not to worship. We will elevate Christ. We will keep our eyes on Jesus. And Barnabas 
is this great example. He just blows into town. He sees what's going on. He goes, hold on, everybody. No, no, no. Remain faithful. Do not give up. Do not give in. Do not turn to the left or to the right. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So after this moment, Barnabas, all from one act of generosity, all from one act of generosity. Now, what happens with Barnabas? We're going to go over two more chapters. We're in Acts 13 now, 1 through 3. It says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, there he is, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who's Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now, some of you are like, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? I've never heard the Holy Spirit. Well, you probably also never worshiped and fasted with a close group of friends for a long period of time. These two things are connected, okay? He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's a beautiful story. See, we, I think, have this picture sometimes of Paul just like traveling the world by himself. And Paul, obviously, he's the one who has churches named after him. And uh, he's the one everyone knows, the Apostle Paul, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. He wrote most of the, uh, or a lot of the New Testament. Uh, and so we look in and everyone kind of remembers him. But Paul didn't go out by himself. Paul had a ministry partner. And uh, the, the fourth thing that we can learn from Barnabas on how to have an incredible impact is to be an incredible ministry partner, just like Barnabas was. Paul and Barnabas get commissioned and they get sent out together. And it was this partnership that's going to last here through some of the most exciting church plants in the history of the world, churches that we still talk about to this day that happened in conjunction in the partnership with Paul and with Barnabas. And here's the deal. You might not be the person who, who preaches or plants the church or, uh, or, or who does, you know, some of the more public things, writes the book, whatever it might be, but you might be the person who stands alongside with the person who does. You might be the person who, who, who uh, spurs uh, um, continued like energy and life when that person gets tired. And all along, we see Barnabas over and over partnering with Paul. He helped Paul get started. And uh, when things uh, are early on, it, it is the people, if you've ever started anything, you know, it's the people who helped you get started, right, that you never forget. I mean, even now, this church has been around for six years. I can look back, right, uh, six years ago, and, and I can think of the, uh, the names and the faces of people who helped us get started here. Uh, who, who we had no picture. We weren't here, by the way. We were in the movie theater, and today was very cold. And so you can picture 6.30 a.m. on a day like today, um, loading into the movie theater very, very cold metal carts. Your hands would, it was like everyone was living the Christmas story, just stuck, walking these things into the movie theater, 6.30 in the morning, set it all up so that 100 or 115 or 125 people could come in. We do the service and we tear it all back down, right? Week in, week out, every week for four years. And I can think of some of those names of people, right? Like Tom Hill, who's one of our elders, driving in from Oak Harbor every single Sunday for four years, getting there at 6.30 a.m. and helping set up. That's a partner. I had coffee with uh, Connie and Bill Burson uh, back in that day. And I said, hey, can you help us uh, get set up going, uh, you know, on Sunday mornings? And Connie said, I'll give you six months. She gave us four years, okay? 
And these names and these people that helped get started when there was nothing to, to really be all that excited about. Uh, you know, when we had service, all right, some of you have heard these stories, right? We've had, we had service in the movie theater. And can I just tell you something? Movie theaters are disgusting, okay? There was the same Skittle in the same spot for like three and a half years. <laughs> Finally ate it one day. It was, uh, just, just kidding, <laughs> obviously. I gave it to my kid, okay. You don't forget the people who helped you get started, though, and the partnership that they employed along the way. You know, this is in part, by the way, we're helping two churches get started across the country right now, uh, one down in North Carolina and another one down in Arizona. And um, I've talked about these a little bit over the last six months or so, and I just want you to know, they're both doing incredible um, just like the energy, uh, neither one of them have like officially opened yet, um, but, but there's teams um, uh, that are being formed. Uh, the one down in North Carolina, um, they're running little services. They got like 30 to 40 uh, to 50 people. The, this couple, Victoria and Dylan, they moved down there. They did not know a single person when they moved down there. Okay, not a single person. And the very first night they were there, they were in a line at the grocery store. And it's a very small town in the south. And the grocery store clerk said, hey, who are you? <laughs> right? Like, we know everybody who walks in here. He said, my name's Dylan. My wife and I um, literally just parked our moving truck. And I had to run to the grocery store. And, um, and she said, why are you here? She said, oh, we're starting a church. And he said, well, why would you start a church here? And he just said, because we love Jesus. The woman gave her life to Christ right there, and they baptized her, okay? We get to help people like that get started. There are stories, right, that I'm already hearing uh, of what's going on. Most of you know the one down in Arizona is my brother. We're, we're helping them out uh, as much as we're able to, uh, and both of these guys, we're helping them out equally um, from a financial perspective, both churches. But, but it's fun to partner with people when they're getting a new work started for the gospel. And um, by the way, to catch us up to our modern moment right now, um, I've been praying, and I have a, a, and I hope this is a Holy Spirit sense, and, but we have been praying around here that even what we've experienced in the last six weeks is actually just the beginning. That, 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 that what we're all a part of right now, it's like all of us circling back up, and we're at ground floor all over again on what I think God wants to do in our city and in our area. Uh, and and, and we, you get to partner at the beginning of something. There's an energy there. Uh, and, uh, and Barnabas, he was a part of this. So he helps Paul get started. Another thing he did is he stood with Paul against both internal and external forces. Over and over, we're going to see, like, even in the first church, there was drama. Even in the first church, there were people, and people always bring problems, right? And that's why it always cracks me up when people run around looking for the perfect church. We've all heard this said. If it was the perfect church, it got ruined when you showed up, right? Because it doesn't exist. It never existed. And, uh, and Barnabas stood with Paul amidst both internal and external forces, uh, Barnabas stood with Paul uh, through some, some very tough times, through oppression, through persecution, right? Uh, when the forces of evil attacked, he traveled with Paul, he raised money with Paul, he faced stoning with Paul, he challenged Paul, he prayed with Paul, he supported Paul, and he was an incredible ministry partner, leveraging who he was, his gift, his talent, his skills, his money, his influence, all for the sake of the gospel, and he made an impact. And we still talk about churches today. We still talk about them that, that were planted because Barnabas and Paul's partnership. 
And so, friend, I invite you into that as well. Now, one of the ways you can make an incredible impact is just through your partnership, partnering together for the sake of the gospel. Us, all of us, working side by side, you leveraging who you are, what you have, what God has given you, how you're talented, all of these different things, and all for one purpose and one mission, that many would come to know Jesus, that the glory of God would be elevated in our area because of the work of ministry that we do together that we would look at stories down the road and we would hear of stories of lives changed by Christ because of our mutual partnership here. That'll make an impact. Barnabas isn't even done yet, though. So this happens. We, we keep going on to the, uh, the next story. Now we're in Acts chapter 15. Isn't this amazing? One act of generosity. This guy shows up on this scene. He's new to town. Whoa, this gospel is incredible. Everyone's coming to Christ. Holy Spirit calls him to sell a piece of property. He sells the piece of property. And look what happened in his life. Isn't that incredible? One act of obedience and faithfulness can send you down a path of God's goodness and blessing that you would never expect. One act of obedience. Now, here we are. Uh, Now we're two chapters later. Acts 15, verse 37 says this. One of the most interesting verses, I think, in the New Testament. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. I'll go to the next line. It won't be on your screen. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn. Let me paraphrase this. Barnabas and Paul had been partners up until this point. They had a, another individual with them by the name of John Mark, and they get to a point where they're going to keep going on in the journey. And, and when they're at that moment, um, Paul goes, yeah, he's kind of a bad employee. Let me use a modern language. He's like, he, he kind of abandoned us, right? He's like, he, he's, he's not going to help us do what we want to do. Let's just leave him behind. And Barnabas says, no, 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 we should take him. You know what's interesting here? It's the same Barnabas who stood up for Paul, is now standing in somewhat opposition to Paul, but standing for the same reason. I'm going to fight for the one. What I love about Barnabas is his character didn't change as his fame grew. As his power and his influence grew, he was still the same guy underneath. He was still fighting for the one. He's now fighting for John Mark instead of Paul, right? And he's saying, no, no, let's take him, let's take him, let's take him. And it's this really interesting verse because Paul and Barnabas and their great ministry partnership is actually going to end right here, and they're going to go their separate ways. And it teaches us a lot of things, and I won't even speculate today who was right and who was wrong. Uh, The text seems to indicate that neither of them, excuse me, neither of them were actually in sin, that sometimes Christian brothers, uh, they just go their separate ways. Now, there are ways to become sinful um, as a result of this, right? Through gossip and slander and, uh, and all of these other things that we tag on to the end of it. But in this particular moment, we do learn an, an interesting lesson that sometimes Christian brothers can just disagree and go their separate ways. And the point is to do that in a biblical and a godly way. But we see the principle underneath, this, this beautiful principle by Barnabas, and that is to fight for the one, to fight for the one, something that has been a part of Barnabas' life, it seems like, ever since uh, almost he, he came onto the scene. And this idea of fighting for the one, right, defending, we already talked about that a little bit. Uh, but in this case, it's Barnabas saying, uh, John Mark is going to end up traveling with Barnabas. And we don't know what happens here. Maybe, maybe Barnabas mentors him. Maybe Barnabas goes, hey, listen, if you're going to work for Paul, you should probably do things a little bit differently here. And uh, he might like you a little bit more, right? Maybe that was the conversation. Either way, Barnabas was committed to him. He was committed to him. 
Now, I want to take this idea of fighting for the one, and I want to uh, give it a little bit of a, um, it's a twist on it a little bit, but I think it's a fair and an accurate twist, okay? Aren't these mugs awesome? Super cool. Here's what's cool. None of you get one, okay? <laughs> Let me explain. Let me explain. Um, here's what we want to do. We, we want to fight for the one this Christmas season, and, and, and I think the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing. So I think the one is already in your mind. That might be one family. It might be one person, one coworker, one, one friend, uh, whoever it might be. Uh, one person that you know that the Holy Spirit or one family has been placing on your heart that you need to go fight for a little bit. You, you, you need to fight for their salvation. You need to fight that they would come back to the Lord because they've, wa- they've run astray. And they've already been coming up in your head. You've already had like weird little interactions like, oh, I, I ran into them there or I saw them there or, or they came to my mind over there. And all of you, you already know who the one is because uh, the Holy Spirit always has us uh, in motion. He always has us acting. He always has us working. And so even as I'm saying this right now, they're probably like, I know who our one is. And what we're encouraging everybody to do and um, due to, like, you know, supply issues, every family, okay, we're asking per family unit, okay, and if you need to fight in your family, just fight, okay, all right, Um, um, to to grab one of these on the way out, and in there is an invite card to Christmas, to our Christmas Eve services, and and what we're asking you to do is take the mug, Take the invite card, fill the mug with something, like put some candy in there, buy a nice gift card, right? Um, uh, you know, bake some good cookies, something like that, right? And, and give it to them and invite them to Christmas Eve service. Invite them to, to the service. And, and then after you invite them, here's the commitment uh, I think we should all make. After you invite them, do not stop praying for them. Do not stop praying for them. If it's their salvation you're praying for, pray for their salvation, if it's just coming back to the Lord, pray for that. And pray that God would use this season, this season of uh, where it seems like there's like this common grace over everyone and everything, where we talk more about generosity. This is kind of what I'm going to talk about uh, on Christmas Eve. My tagline is, it's Christmas. And, uh, and we're going to talk about the grace that gets poured out in this season, but ultimately how that points us to the greater grace, the grace in Christ, right? And don't stop praying for them. From now until Friday night or now until Saturday, you just start praying and praying and praying uh, that, that this would be the season and this would be the year that God breaks through, the gospel breaks through their heart and that that one person that is on your mind, that is you fight spiritually for the one and take the, the practical step to invite them in, that God would then be able to use a a, a proclamation of the gospel uh, at our service to to draw that person to himself. And maybe you're wondering, like, this idea of fighting for the one, where would Barnabas learn that? Well, of course, we can remember one of Jesus's great and most famous parables, right? Where he's telling the story of the shepherd leaving the 99 and what? Going and finding the one. We think of Jesus's words where he said, I came to seek and to save the lost, that Christ Though this is a, a, a universal, we serve a universal God, right, who's over all things, who's above all things, who's, uh, who's infinite and eternal, all of that, yet still knows us, still loves us, still knows you. And if you've experienced grace, you know how personal it is. And he wants that. And we're praying for that, for those ones in your life. And so on your way out today, I would tell you, grab one of these, 
right, as a family. And maybe as a family, it'll be a fun discussion on your way home or your way to breakfast, whatever it is that you do as you begin to pray and say, God, who, who, who have you put into our family's life? Who are we going to do this for collectively? And then even going back to some of the stuff we talked earlier over the last few weeks, maybe this will be an interesting time for you as a family to pause and say, you know what? We're going to pray together right now for that person. We're going to pray for them together right now as a family out loud that they would come to know Jesus that this would be the breakthrough that we've been waiting for, for them. We're going to fight for the one. Barnabas is, um, he really is. He's an incredible individual in the scriptures. And of course, over and over, uh, he's just reminding us uh, of Jesus. Jesus' incredible act of generosity. Jesus lending his righteousness, giving us his righteousness, right? Uh, and, and then even on my uh, third and fourth point, right, uh, talking about being partners in the gospel, right? What does Christ do? He sends us his Holy Spirit who is the helper to us, who, uh, who comes in and, and, and changes us and is the power for us to be able to partner in ministry. And then, of course, Christ who is the ultimate example of fighting for the one. And so, friends, uh, I hope we can learn something from this uh, incredible man today. Uh, I hope ultimately that we see how it points us to Jesus and what he has done for us. And uh, as you wrap up your year, let me just encourage you in all of these again. Do something ridiculously generous as the Holy Spirit would prompt you to. Ask him, open yourself up to it. God, what would you have me do? Who knows what that might look like? But be obedient and be faithful. Find someone to lend your strength to this Christmas season. Gather some people around that you can encourage to remain faithful in the Lord. Be an incredible partner for the gospel. And see who God would put on your heart to fight for their salvation or their return. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Ultimately, that you model all of this, and you, you weren't even a model. You were the originator. Father, thank you for your ridiculous act of generosity. Your love compelled you to give. You gave us your son, Jesus. And Jesus, you gave your life so that we might be saved from our sins. You lent us your righteousness. Thank you. And Father, whether it's learning from Barnabas here on the surface or it's learning from Christ underneath it, I pray that these good works that come out of grace, that don't earn grace, but come out of grace, that we would model these good works, that we would live them out because it's part of the joy and the excitement of our faith that you now equip us and release us to be a part of building your kingdom. What an honor that is for us. And so I pray that through your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, inspire each person in this room to know exactly what to do in what we've talked about this morning, and that in those moments, they would be obedient and faithful. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.